0: last week we began our series called identity theft and pastor mark told you all about his being taken advantage of with his credit cards and identity being stolen last week and the things that had happened to him i too have my own story on identity theft that happened to me it was a saturday morning My wife was on her phone and trying to call someone and it wouldn't work. And she said, honey, my phone's not working. So I looked at it and it wouldn't text, it wouldn't get email, it wouldn't do anything. So I said, well, hang on, let me get my phone on a different account. And I called it and it said, your number's no longer in service. Said, did you do something? And she said, no, I didn't do anything. So I called Verizon and I said, hey, my wife's phone's not working. What's the problem? They said, well, it's been removed from your account. I said, it's been removed from my account. I didn't remove it. Well, yes, there's a new phone that's taken its place, an iPhone, whatever, and it was the latest one. I said, but I don't have one of those. Well, it's been activated and the other one has been removed. I said, well, can I get it switched because that's not mine and I don't know what's going on. They said, well, we're going to need you to give us the pin for the account. So I gave it to them and they said, that's not the correct pin. I know that's the correct pin because it's part of my social security number. What's going on? They said, let us check into it. While they're checking into it, they said, you just bought two more iPhones and added them to the account. I said, I'm at home. It's Saturday morning. I'm in my pajamas. I'm not at the store. What's going on? How is this happening? They said, well, you're no longer the manager of your account. Somebody else is and they're at a store buying and activating phones. To make a long story short, it turned out that when my daughter had been at a Verizon store earlier that week, one of the employees took all the information on the account and had hacked it. You know, when it's somebody that you go to and that you trust in a company, and they do exactly the opposite, that seems to be what we would call hypocrisy. The definition of being a hypocrite is this, a person claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. I truly was hacked by hypocrisy, by somebody that was supposed to be looking out for me. You know, I wonder as we've heard the readings this morning, Paul and Matthew and the Gospel as Jesus talks, If I were to hypothetically ask the question, how many of you are hypocrites, how many hands would raise? I thought about maybe taking a Jeff Foxworthy approach to say, you just might be a hypocrite if, but I thought that might take a little too much time because there are so many examples that we could use. You know, truly Paul shows us in that reading today. The struggle that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, the struggle of what we call being both saint and sinner at the same time, and the dilemma that goes back and forth in that struggle, and how we deal with it every day, and Jesus shows us in the reading the problem and identifies it for us. Now those were several strong criticisms that he uses in there. And that chapter in Matthew 23 goes on to include what's often called the seven woes, even stronger language against the teachers of that day. I want you to see just a little synopsis of those on the screen in Matthew. Jesus uses this word again and again for every one of these. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, You hypocrites. And he goes on to say what it is that they do. They stop people from entering the kingdom. Your converts will end up in hell like you. You tithe stuff but do nothing regarding justice and mercy and faithfulness. He goes on again to say, You make a show of ceremonial cleaning, but inside you are corrupt. You dress yourselves up in liturgical gear to look great, but inside you are dead. And then finally he says, you decry those who kill the, killed the prophets, and yet you seek to kill the Messiah. Like I said, those are paraphrases of a long chapter, but you get the point. The point is that the Pharisees in Jesus' day, the scribes, the hypocrites as he calls them were those who made up rules for the people. They were in that position. They demanded that others follow all those rules, and yet they found ways to get around observing any of those laws. I thought about it, and it reminded me a lot of Washington. All parties, not just one. You know, we hear what the Scripture condemns again and again in the law. We hear Paul struggle. We hear Jesus lash out at those who are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. And I think a lot of times we can sit there and we can hear exactly what Jesus is talking about in those examples, and we can say to ourselves, you know, that's not me. I haven't done that. And I think a lot of times it's easy for us to simply dismiss it, to say, well, since that doesn't identify with me, since I haven't found myself doing exactly that, it's not applied to me. And here's the problem. When we do that, when we dismiss what Scripture says because we can't identify with its example of our sin, we truly show then our own arrogance in that fact. The truth of the matter is, that hypocrisy does not escape any of us. It's part of us being both saint and sinner. It lives with us in our flesh. 19th century Scottish theologian Thomas Erskine said this, Most people are so full of themselves that there is no empty space left in them that God can fill. It comes from the beginning. It comes from our first and our lifetime sin. It comes from the fall that we are full of ourselves. That pride and arrogance and hypocrisy live in our lives. Because it comes from our wanting to be like God. Here again the words that come from Genesis. As Eve was addressed by the serpent when she said, God told us not to touch or even eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because we'll die. And the serpent responded, You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We wanted to be like God. To know what he knew. And it is with us now and it will be with us until our bodies are laid in the dust of the earth. It is the very thing that drives us in our lives, drives us every day. To seek the best seats much like those Pharisees or to speak first and show our knowledge of life to others around us to see others as inadequate in the things that they do and that we are better, to seek titles, titles like being a king or a prince or a duke or more close to home for us to be a CEO or a CFO or a vice president or a chief project engineer or whatever that title is. Oh, we lay on ourselves. We're just pursuing our career. We're doing our best. We're rising. We're doing all the things we're supposed to do. But in truth, we love the title. We love the position. We love being recognized for our accomplishments. It means power and prestige and prerogative and recognition and respect and reverence and accolades. And underneath it all is our desire in our lives to be noticed, to be right, to have people focus on us. You see, it's part of us, no matter what you do. And it lives itself out in many ways that we are not even aware that we are doing. And how often again we need to find ourselves saying those words that Paul says I am a wretched man. What can I do? It lives itself out every day when we open the pages of a newspaper or magazine or on television. We see it in the entertainment industries as those who are stars in whatever aspect think that their opinions on issues are the most important things and that people should follow whatever they decide because it's all about them. Of course, as I said, we see it in politics of those who are so impressed of the positions they have. We see it in business going on. I so remember my days in the auto industry and just some of those phrases, oh, we're Chrysler, we round in the millions, or we're Ford, we never make those mistakes, or we're GM, we're the biggest and the best. Arrogance that breeds itself in so many places. But not to let myself off the hook here, it's true in religion too, as we saw from Jesus' words to the Pharisees, and it continues. We're arrogant because we say things like we have the right doctrine and we know the scriptures and we teach what's correct. And we show our arrogance to the world in those things rather than humility and saying how blessed. And how fortunate we are that God has allowed his spirit to rest on us. And to prosper the things that we do. Still can't identify with any of those things that I've said that talk about hypocrisy. Maybe a little closer to home. Have you ever maybe faked a relationship with someone? Acted one way, looked nice to them, but really you didn't feel that way? There was a man who was a new hire in a corporation, and he was excited to be there. Not long after he was hired, he and his wife were expecting their first newborn, and he was excited to announce it to everyone. After he'd announced it, people would come up every day and ask him things, Hey, how's your wife doing? What's the doctor saying? Is there any news yet on the baby? How many more days will it be till you receive your bundle of joy? He thought everyone at that corporation was so nice and so wonderful and so thoughtful. But the truth was that they had a betting pool on when the baby would be born. And that's why they wanted to know. They weren't interested in his life, only in who would win. Paul says those words, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Do we see ourselves in Paul's words? Do we realize the hypocrisy in our lives? That of the many times we would love to pat ourselves on the back to say how wonderful we are, how well we are doing, how loving and how kind the truth Of the matter is, our motivation many times is simply that we would have focus on ourselves. How often it is that the more we comprehend and come up against Jesus and his words, his love and his sacrifice and what he has done for us, so Paul and we also realize that we are aware then of our inadequacies as his servant. You know, I have to confess to all of you my greatest burden in life. And that I look forward to someday being free of it and the joy that will come. It is that someday I will be able to worship Jesus. And worship him without being focused on myself. Without having any of the stuff that goes on in my life or me or being conscious of myself to truly worship The one who died for me. But like Paul says, I realize that's not now. That's a someday. And until then, we fight the good fight. So let me ask you again, hypothetically, are you a hypocrite? You should nod your head, yes. So is there hope for us? Yes. There is always hope for us. First and foremost, I think we need to pray so often for wisdom and for truth in our lives and what that looks like, that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And most of us have a problem with that. And What do I mean exactly? You know, wisdom is often said that it's learning to keep your mouth shut in many circumstances and not to speak. It doesn't hurt us to do a self-check now and then when we are in a crowd, when we are in a setting, when we want to say something and we want to give our advice and our credence and our knowledge that we need to think about it before we speak to say, why is it that I want to say something? Is it because I want the attention? Is it because I want people to think I'm smart? Is it because I want to show how much I know? Is it really that important For me to say something? Or can I just listen at this moment and hear what the other person is saying? We need to pray for wisdom. Wisdom to learn to be silent. And second is what Paul says. Who will deliver me? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is his presence and his forgiveness, and his strength, and his spirit that allows us to overcome ourselves. That's the saint in us, the gift that he has given us. Not that we have earned, and not that we have desired. But it doesn't come to us simply in a vacuum. More of Jesus comes by being steeped in his word, To receive the grace and the spirit that's given to us through that word. To be people who are forgiving in a situation and who receive forgiveness back for all we do. To be among his people and to be in his church. To celebrate the gifts that we have been given of his forgiveness. To remind one another of that grace and that love and that sacrifice that he has made for us. Yes, we are hypocrites. We often do those things that we don't want to do and we find ourselves doing them and we wish we hadn't. But Jesus comes to us as he does today through his body and blood, comes to us to bring us forgiveness, to let us know that we are loved and we are cherished and our value is not in ourselves but our true value comes from his name placed on us in our baptism. That we are the redeemed of Jesus and we take on his mantle of humility and love and grace. We see ourselves as not important but that he is the one who is everything in our lives. That his grace is the very thing that molds us and keeps us and inspires us. May we be those people, people of true humility, people who understand and know ourselves and realize the only good that lies in me is Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, who has redeemed me, as Luther said, a lost and condemned person, but has raised me up to be his servant in all things. Amen.